0: Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, a championship edition. And yes. A delayed edition. Uh, reasons or excuses, you be the judge, but I credit two factors for the delay. One's just absolutely a rookie mistake, all my fault, hand raised. Why I didn't schedule PTO on Tuesday after a Monday night game, I have no idea. So I hop into work on Tuesday, left turns all week. And so the opportunity to come back and do the prep and do the podcast is gone. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't exist. And so uh, that contributed, uh, I think, most significantly to the delay. Had I taken a Tuesday off, then I would have spent all Tuesday sort of in podcast production mode, gotten it done, and uh, you would have already listened to this without all the excuses on the front end. Uh, second, and this I think there's something to this, and maybe this sort of segues into the content of the show as well. But the the second is that uh, you know there's a little bit of a mindset that that drives the show. Everything we do on the podcast is about what's next, almost. Every game that we break down or every game that we review, there's a build to the next. How's the defense evolving? Look at a player sort of evolve. How are they going to carry that forward through the season? What can we see today that makes us think the end product of the season will look like? There's a lot of that mindset into what we do. Like I said, almost every game, even the end of seasons, sometimes sort of End with a forward look in mind. Uh, the 2017 championship against uh, Georgia, for example, so many freshmen on the field, including Tua. And there's a natural sort of look forward. What does next season look like? If this is what this team did as freshmen, what does the next season look like? Well, the next two seasons were the beat down to Georgia and mix in a little sour grapes, probably in that episode. And in last season, missing the playoffs, the look forward is all about the bounce back. How is this team going to respond? How is this team going to take this experience forward into the following season? And this year, you know what? With many of those same true freshmen that we saw in 17, we know they have the heart of the champion. This is the season that they come through and they win the national title. This season, the conclusion of this season, feels more like the accomplishment. It feels more like the build to point of the prior seasons. That's not a veiled message, save in the program, the podcast, aside from maybe a bunch of assistants and uh, the regular sort of declaring players. No one's going anywhere, but the chapter close on this one feels to me more finite, more complete, more perfect. It feels like more of an end than other seasons. I'd Maybe maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, but that's sort of where my head is on that. And so when I think about, hey, how do we take on this game in the way that we take on games? It just feels different because we're not taking from this building for next. This just feels like this feels like the end of the story, the end of this chapter. Or maybe I'm getting soft in my old age, so maybe I'm overthinking it. So with that in mind, let's just do this. Last Monday night, Alabama walloped Ohio State, 52 to 24, was absolutely, what do the kids call it? A wow moment. And think about it. It wasn't, it was more of a wow, like wow, that actually happened as opposed to a wow, I would never imagine that happening. It's like you have an idea, eh, it might be a little far-fetched, but hey, it happened. That's different than... I don't know, winning the lottery, something in a million years you think could never happen, that happened. There's a difference in the wow moment. Hindsight is 2020, they say, and it's probably about as ironic as it gets as we inflect from 2020 to 2021. But the moment sort of makes me think of Denny Green. When he sort of famously said, talking about playing the Chicago Bears when he's the head coach of the Vikings, and they lost a very close game and on on sort of mistakes at the end, and he pounded the podium and he said they are who we thought they were, the they in that sentence could be Ohio State or it could be Alabama. It doesn't matter. The narrative holds for both. So think about Ohio State going into the game 7-0 in a conference where they struggled to have a third of their teams finish 500 or better. Indiana and Northwestern counted as quality wins, close wins for Ohio State. yes. It's a team that whipped Clemson, a feat requiring their best effort and 12 months of revenge thinking. And I still want to go back and watch that game again to figure out how it happened. It was more of an image of their best selves rather than their daily selves. And like I said, it called Clemson into question as well. On the big stage, they wilted. And so when you look writ large, the full mosaic on Ohio State The fact that they would lose to Alabama in such fashion, you could say they are who we thought they were. A lot of coaches predicted that it could be a big Alabama win. And a lot of the sort of the media analysts, they like to pick it close. But, you know, Trevor Maddich and Mark Rich, they both predicted this, you know, almost almost a 20 point game on the Zoom call where we had a number of, uh, of folks participating in calling the game. A number of those folks picked uh, large scoring margins uh, in the favor of Alabama and questioned Ohio State. So again, Ohio State, they are who we thought they were. They, like we said, could be Alabama. Well, Alabama going into the game was 12-0 in a conference that boasted three legitimate playoff contenders until the final week of the season and two playoff contenders until the final participants were met were announced. Alabama's a team, went on the final stage, simply did what they've done. Did what they've done all season. The stakes were higher, but it wasn't an out-of-body experience. The gameplay was virtually the same as it had been all season. And so, you could say, Alabama, they are who we thought they were. And so, the fact that if you look at it through that lens, and again, it's a hindsight 2020. 52 to 24 perhaps is not that surprising. Maybe it's not what you would have guessed. Maybe it's not what you would have bet money on, but you would have not excluded it from the realm of opportunity. Flipping, inverting those scores, I don't think was feasible. A close game either way, sure, that's feasible. An Alabama blowout, I'd love to see it. Don't know that I will. But I can see a path to that. And so that's a wow. It actually happened as opposed to a wow of something I never would have dreamt would have happened. And so that was last Monday night with Alabama's, again, beat down of Ohio State. So let's jump into that further. We're kind of stepping into the pool step by step, right? So let's jump into the offense just like we do. Alabama just absolutely had an explosive second quarter, uh, 28 points, and then owned – Uh, The first seven and a half minutes, effectively the first half of the third quarter, uh, that's a long sort of period of time where Ohio State was on their heels or anxious to try to get back and and do something. And uh, by the time they got the ball late in the third, late in the third, second half of the third, if you will, it it was going to be a tough game for them to ever, ever come back from we talk about the big 3 and we have to we have to talk about it here as well you know mac jones was 36 of 45 uh, 80% on his completions 464 yards it's just amazing five touchdowns and of course he had the injury but it's that stat line that just jumps out to me there's a younger version of me that that when i was a boy i loved uh, getting into into baseball, and I think there's a lure to baseball because of the numbers and the stats and and I would go back and look at all the stat lines and the the players and the teams and you know players hitting a stretch over 300 and just like the prime of their career or teams that go to multiple you know World Series in in a, in a short window and I think what an what an amazing sort of moment to live in as a fan uh, of that team or that player. And the stat lines that obviously for Alabama over this uh, over this decade is is one of those you know if kids do that in the future they're going to look back and say what it must have been to have been an Alabama fan during that era and to say enjoy the hell out of the moment that's what you know to me what that means but I look at Mac Jones's stat line 464 yards in a national title game those are the kind of stats you just want to you want to wrap yourself around that you want to live in that moment uh to just it's just so magical those numbers you think those numbers can't exist they can't be real uh but again they were they were representative in some respects uh of what Mac has done all season and and you know 464 is even a big number at that five touchdowns 80% uh c- completion rate just phenomenal uh Devonta, again a stat line a stat line you just want to move into 12 catches certainly a record 215 yards certainly a record three touchdowns. Probably not a record, but damn, it should be. And to think that he did that all in the first half. Holy moly. That's not his postseason stats. That's his first half stats for the national title game. I don't want to be too hyperbolic, uh, hyperbole sort of induced thought process, but had he played the second half, what would his numbers have reached? 15 receptions. That's probably a given. He does that on the rest of that drive. Does he get to 18? It's it's conceivable. He has a whole half to play. Does he get to 20? I don't know. It's not unreasonable if he has 12 and a half 215 yards. Does he get to 300? I think that he does. Now at some point the score becomes what it is and and you rotate guys out. So you can't just take the numbers and double them, but does he get does he get 18 305? Uh, three uh, in five touchdowns. I think that he does, and and that's what's magical about it because the numbers by themselves are phenomenal, and to think that he only played the first half is just amazing. I, I continue to say that Devonta is art; his his play is art, and in the first half, he absolutely, absolutely de- uh, demonstrated that. And then just the 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 tough dude with with his finger uh, dislocated, and they struggled to to pop it back in, and normally it's. It, not that I'm a medical expert but normally it's something that they can pop in uh, pretty directly it's painful it hurts uh, but for them to have worked on his finger trying to pop it in for as long as they as they could can you imagine how just outright painful that would be and he refused for the bulk of that time he refused a numbing shot because he wanted to go back into the game and he didn't want to play with a finger that was that he thought would hinder with the the numbness and the tingling that would hinder his ability to play. So think about the warrior spirit that Devonta demonstrated there. Just absolutely amazing. And then again, the big 3, Najee. For my money, the stat line isn't his best. But for my money, I wonder if this was not his most complete game. Complete or best? We can wrestle with the different terminology there, but think about what he produced in this game. 22 carries, 79 yards. That's not an outstanding average, but it's incredible in helping move the chains. Ohio State played played a linebacker-based defense, and so they they were intent on slowing down Alabama's running game. And Najee, even on the plays where he only gained two and a half, three, three and a half yards, he could have been held, a lesser back would have been held for zero or one yards. Multiple of those replays, go watch him, where he's surrounded by multiple defenders. He pauses, he jukes, he turns, he squirts through, gains a couple of yards where there really were no yards to run. That is an incredible talent for a running back. It's also a capability that we've not always seen from Najee. And so the fact that that was on display, absolutely phenomenal. He did have two rushing touchdowns. Again, we continued to to drill him, to give him the ball, and he continued to have success. But we talk about versatility. He also had, Najee, seven catches for 79 yards. He had a touchdown there. And his receiving – was phenomenal. So you think about the linebackers are crowding him. So now the linebackers are going to cover him. And that's a great matchup all day long in his receiving touchdown. I know people are going to say last season's play against South Carolina or this season's uh, hurdle against Notre Dame. And those are phenomenal plays. And if you could put any of them on a postage stamp, they're they're phenomenal plays. But what I what I wonder within myself is was his reception for a touchdown against Ohio State, was that the was that his best play ever? The range, you know, he had to reach out and catch the ball behind him. And so a one-handed grab, as soon as he he wheeled it in, he planted his foot. Very much a running back move. So we went from an elite receiver, one-handed grab, ball behind him, reeling it in, immediately makes sort of a physical running back move, plants his foot uh, in the turf, redirects himself, takes on a, a tackler, and and then outruns another into the, uh, into the end zone in just a, a microcosm of, of seconds there. It just seemed that he showed his full repertoire. When we think about the NFL draft, they're going to show a lot of plays because there's a lot to see from Najee. But you could put that play on a reel and say, this is what you're getting and I think a lot of teams would sign up for that. Just a phenomenal play, uh, it, it, that singular play. But his play on the day for me, I've, one of his more complete games. Uh, very, very pleased with uh, with what he did on on Monday. I was going to say Saturday, right? We always play on Saturday, but uh, on on Monday night, his talents were certainly uh, on display, as as were others. A uh, handful of other guys that I just I just want to call out. Uh, uh, Jalen Waddell, the fact that he was able to get back on the field was phenomenal he had three catches for 34 yards along of 15 uh at least one maybe two first downs uh in his play and what's phenomenal is sort of more of the story that you started to hear he was in the ambulance in Knoxville telling uh telling the doctors that I want to be back for the national title game just amazing just the focused resolve the wherewithal uh, there have been reports that he had already with all his rehab and we, we mostly read and tracked through that uh, there had been reports that his uh, that he was looking good in practice and there had been reports that in a straight line he had already reset or, or sort of reachieved his top end speed and so he and and so that speaks to physically being you know capable and ready the challenge is on the Sort of torquing the ankle on redirects or slants or uh, routes that that require you know more than just straight line burst. And he ran a couple of those, but I'm convinced that we ran them in in the direction where he would be cutting on his healthy ankle as opposed to his uh, his repaired ankle. And he still was hobbled. You could still see after plays that it looked almost. It looked almost sinister that we were playing him, uh, and I'm glad the, the media sort of you know didn't take that angle. It looked like, why is he even out there? And it's a function of just the recovery process and and, and the lack of flexibility uh, in the ankle. And But it, it, at any rate, just very pleased to see him out there. I love this, again, sort of the heart of the champion that he had uh, to go out there and overcome. John Mechie. Much the same way, there were reports that he has looked very bad in practice, missed uh, a number of practices, and that he has played most of the second half of the season injured. Well, I didn't know that, <laughs> uh, and and not necessarily that I would, but in a lot of tracking the team, reading media reports, I've not heard I've not heard boo on that, and uh, he did look gimp uh, a couple of times on on Monday, and. It's just amazing what he has fought through uh, that, as a fan base, we didn't even realize that that was going on. And, of course, in the national title game, uh, he ends up with eight catches for for 81 yards. So it's interesting that, you know, call it our top three receivers, uh, Devonta, Jalen Waddell, John Mechie, uh, have all experienced to different degrees injury. Now, Devonta in the, in the title game. And we could throw in Slade Bolden, too, uh, with his injury uh, this season so that's a lot of the receiving core that has uh, has missed time or played hurt it's just amazing that what we've seen uh from from this unit other players just to call out uh, Jalil had uh, two nice catches for 27 yards i think uh, i think there may have been an, uh, an opportunity in the second half for him to have received you know more catches more opportunities but the score being such that it, that it was, uh, but I I enjoyed uh, seeing his his participation, and it was amazing to think at one point that we are that Alabama is is really walking up and down the field against this Ohio State team, and we've not seen much out of Jaleel, who's been a nice weapon uh, for that for uh, the uh, the Crimson Tide. You know, second half of the season, uh, Slade Bolton, three catches for sixteen, and amazingly enough, his first touchdown reception. Uh, I think he's thrown for. Uh, a touchdown. I think maybe he's run for a touchdown. And so when they announced that, you know, hey, this is his first touchdown reception. My first reaction was to sort of no, that can't be true. Uh, sort of rebel against that. Uh, but then you think about it and you and then you see the energy with it, which uh, Matt Jones, who we know was injured. Uh, runs down the field to celebrate with them, then you know that must be true and that must be something that they've they've talked about. We've got we've got to get you one. We gotta get you one. And so to get one in the national title game, uh is super, super super double exciting. Uh Xavier Williams, I'd color me a little bit surprised that that uh that he was in the game for as much as he was in the game. I think he had a, a I think he was overthrown, uh, so he was targeted at least twice, and then he had a catch for 12 yards. And it's not that I'm mad at Xavier Williams, but if we go back and we look at the season, sort of the fullness of the season, we've seen a ton more Javon Baker, true freshman wide receiver, than we have uh, Xavier Williams. And so to me, that was that was a little bit uh, of a surprise. But, you know, Saban's going to – true freshman versus – a uh, third-year player who's got more crap, uh, practice reps, who might we feel a little more comfortable? All things being equal, you know, we get to see Williams in, in that regard. And I'm certainly happy uh, for him. When we get into the wide receiver, into the future, into the spring training uh, or spring drills, a lot of questions there. We're not going to ask them now. We're going to not even going to attempt to answer them now. But uh, what we're going to do is call out a nice grab uh, for uh, uh, for Xavier. Uh, what's interesting if there if there was a little bit of a, a bone to pick. In the sort of skill position players, you almost got to go back and uh, and point to Devonta and say, man, if he had been healthy, you think, you know, Alabama definitely, I think, gets into the 60s. I think Ohio State probably wilts a, a little bit early. And then you have the opportunity. To see a Bryce Young in the game, like a true freshman playing in a a national title game, even sort of in a mop-up duty, uh, I think that would have been a phenomenal experience for him to build on. And there was a part of it, call it Machiavellian, if you will, but I so wanted to see Jace McCullen bust off a 60-yard run for a touchdown. I so wanted to see that and see Saban get a little Hacked off about it. Uh, that would have been phenomenal. I think his burst would have been something, and 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 I almost wanted to see it at, at the expense of of Brian Robinson. And I and I hate that the part of me hates to say that, but uh, you know that the Ohio State defense was gassed. And Brian Robinson's gonna go out there and beat them up, but Jace would have gone out there and blown past. Uh, blown past him. And so I think had he gotten into the game, I'm not yet accusing him of being Superman, but I think had he gotten into the game in the fourth quarter, he may well have busted a long run because his fresh legs and his speed, uh, given where the Ohio State defense was uh, at the moment. And I so wanted to see that. I so wanted to, I wasn't chasing a number so much as and I really wanted to see a couple of the youngsters uh, get in there and sort of um, sort of sort of play in a, in a national title game. So other things on offense that we want to talk to uh, offensive line, Chris Owens. I thought he played very well. Yes, he benefited by Ohio, Ohio State having a couple of uh, defensive tackles out. But uh, all the same, uh, he played very well in a game. I'm very glad that he's returning. A couple of curious things with Ohio State's uh, defense: why they didn't attack the middle, recognizing that Owens would have been, relatively speaking, more point of weakness. I don't know why. You know, you have to go, uh, you know, ask them that question. Uh, I thought there was an opportunity for them to, them to attack there. They didn't, and that contributed to Chris looking good. Although I think he could have handled. Um, uh, and I'm not calling him a, a sort of a, a revolving door by any stretch of the imagination. And then Landon Dickerson, just him coming out for the victory formation uh, and taking those snaps was just that's sort of an all time moment. I think if if you wrote that into a movie script, I think that I think they'd throw it out. They wouldn't allow it. Uh, but the fact that, that he went in there and then to hear some of the story where the medical staff, just almost fighting with him uh, to slow down his rehab. Don't overdo it. Uh, let's let's follow a, a program here. He wanted to dress, and they didn't want him to. And then I think uh, I think one of the the trainers almost gave him a preposterous. You know, if we're up by four touchdowns, then in a victory formation we can get in. And then and then it happened. Uh, and in a game like this, you you probably don't expect it to be that type of margin and, and that type of, of circumstance. And, and, and in, I think there was a long run that Brian Robinson had to get the first down. Otherwise, Alabama was going to have to punt and you get the first down and you have some downs where you can run out the clock. And just so many things conspiring for it to happen that you wouldn't you wouldn't write a movie. You wouldn't script that. Uh, but all of those elements sort of came uh, came together. And when he grabbed his helmet and he was looking at Saban, he said, "I'm going to go in there." And Saban was like, "Okay, just that, just that moment." And he runs out there, and his teammates celebrate that moment with him. Just phenomenal. I, there's not enough. That that's it's just a that is you know we talk about stat lines. That's just a moment you want to live in because, because you know at the end of the day that's what a lot of this is about. And especially for the players, any season that put in just a tremendous amount of effort to climb the mountain. So much more this this season. Uh, that is That has been uh, true. Now, love the offense, love what they did. A uh, couple of questions that I have, and I don't have answers for these, um, maybe some, just some, some thoughts, but Ohio State, and I don't say this to take away from any of Alabama's offensive performance, but Ohio State did themselves zero favors, uh, insisting on playing four linebackers, a lot of single high coverage. They did not adjust, adapt. You know, not necessarily being aggressive, but but responding, they should have played a lot of. They should have moved. They should have come out of the gates wanting to play a a nickel. They should have shifted to a dime. And what what I take from that is that they don't have the roster personnel to do that. They're deep at linebacker. They've got a lot of good linebackers. They know that they have to try to stifle the Alabama run. And so we're going to play a lot of linebackers because we don't have a lot of secondary players. It's just amazing that they played so much of a 4-4 of a four, four, uh, front. That's, I don't want to call them a, a high school defense, but that's more of a high school formation when you have quarterbacks that can't sling it uh, necessarily. And I may be dating myself a little bit even, even in just saying that. But I think their insistence on – On that approach of that style of defense, it almost made it easy for Sark to call a game. I mean, they're an opponent. They're trying to play hard. They're doing their best. And so I don't want to minimize or trivialize their effort by saying that it was easy. But holy hell, if it didn't look easy, the motions with Devonta, with Najee to Slade. And there was a moment that it almost seemed like the motions started to telegraph what the play would be. And Ohio State still couldn't stop it, and I think that's where it gets to a to a, a, a personnel standpoint. Uh, there was a play where Slade motioned all the way across the field, and was it fatigue or was it boredom or they're not going to throw to that dude? But the sort of the air quote star cornerback didn't follow him across the the field, or at least was sort of haphazard or lazy and and cross uh, across the field, and so and and following him across the field, and so by the time. You know, and by the time Mac feels Slade go behind him and sees the corner coming across, he knows the separate, he knows that separation is there before the ball is snapped. Touchdown Alabama. And I think that, I think that goes into Mac's excitement and running down there uh, because he knew before he even snapped the ball, oh, this is going to be a touchdown. If you're going to cover him that lazily, then this is a touchdown. And and then he goes and celebrates uh, uh, with, with his friend, with his buddy, with his teammate, that's to me that that's phenomenal. Yeah, so that's uh, that's one of my two cents on that. Uh, there was a play, you know, where Tough there a lot of the motions, right? And I love the motions because Sark is trying to sort of wean out the coverages and 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 create some misdirection and so that there's separation at the point of of snap. And we saw that number numerous times again, Devonta, Najee, uh, and Slade. And so there certainly there was a time where I think the motion, and I think the, the the attack, and I think also Waddle being on the field allowed uh, it created sort of the linebacker one on one with uh, against uh, with tough uh, tough Borland and Devonta. And if you go back and look at that play, I, I like that play in in particular. There's a lot of plays I like. I like that play in particular because this they're playing a single high safety, and the safety over top leans. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna be a play from left to right, and so the 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 safety over the top leans to the left, left to right, yeah, he, he leans to the left, and he's doing that because Waddle is lined up over there, and so on this crossing pattern that Devonta is running, you end up with one on one coverage with or what's looking like one on one coverage with the linebacker, and the reason it looks that way is because the safety is not bracketing. You think of bracketing, you have one in front, one behind, and if the safety recognizes Devonta coming across and Devonta being more of a threat one-on-one with a linebacker versus a hobbled uh, waddle, then you play your odds against Devonta. It's a bracketed coverage. Could that still be a score? Yeah, it absolutely could be a score. Is it as easy of a score? No, no. Is it a play that sort of is a demonstration of the athletic differential between the two teams? No, absolutely it's not. It's, It's more of a you know here's how we're bracketing uh, a defender it's more of a textbook doing it right uh as opposed to textbook doing it wrong and uh in tough borland i think he led ohio state in tackles very physical uh middle linebacker pro- probably has an opportunity uh to play in the few uh to play in, in in the league uh i think he's a textbook middle linebacker if you need a middle linebacker you say you know central casting i need me a t- a, a, a tough borland and that's what you name him and uh, and you put him out there. And I'm convinced that, you know, halfway, uh, I'm, I'm convinced that that was probably the, the longest two seconds, three seconds of his life. And uh, I think he was cursing his his uh, defensive coordinator for putting him in that in that position or or, or potentially <laughs> cussing the um, uh, the safety that should have had the uh, the over the top because he knew that as it was happening, I am right now getting beat. And I'm continuing to get beat and I'm continuing to get beat because I'm waiting for the ball, for the ball to fly through the air to get to the receiver. That's going to about to score this touchdown. And that's just as that unfolds sort of half second by half second, uh, that has had to have been sort of the longest uh, couple of seconds there of his life as he knew sort of watching the event happen in in his mind as certainly as it was unfolding. So uh, again, don't understand the assistance insistence in Ohio state playing that it has to be, Uh, personnel related, but at some point you rotate in some youngsters and you say, "What we got, what we think is our strength. It ain't working. And so you guys are going to get some reps and it either helps you tonight, helps us all tonight, or it helps you in the future. We're going to put some stuff on film. I don't know why they didn't do that, but that's a, that's a whole nother thing. Let's see. Mini game ball on offense. I'm gonna go with a, a name brand player. Uh, we've already talked about him a little bit, and uh, I just want to give a tip of the cap to Brian Robinson. He had 10 carries, 69 yards. Very physical. Looked really, really aggressive uh, when he had the ball. He's not as explosive as Is uh, Naji. I think we all know that, but uh, he is a physical back, and I thought he did. Uh, I thought he did work. I think if we could have gotten that extra touchdown, maybe if he springs it, then we get to see Jason. And I really would like to have seen Jace, but I didn't want to take away. I didn't want to deny Brian Robinson the opportunity. So I'm glad he had 10 for 69. That's a nice, nice, healthy average uh, and certainly some physicality that he demonstrated there. Hey, you all know I'm a serious Tide fan, but I'm also a whiskey guy. You know, I like my brown waters. Apparently Facebook does, too, and we're all better for it. Recently. Up popped an ad for Legends Drinkware glasses, and it was easily the coolest thing I'd seen in a while. But wow, now that I have these in my hands, I'm blown away. You know our Crimson Tide is rooted in tradition, class, and style. Somehow, the crew at Legends Drinkware distilled each of these elements into their glasses. No detail is overlooked. Lead-free, crystal glass, hand-blown in America. Even the packaging is top shelf. And the gym-like logo... Well, it calls out to you. Roll Tide with every sip. Now let's flip the field and talk defense. I want to give a lot of credit for Ohio State's fight. They had a couple of quick strikes, one off of a turnover, one play after a turnover, after after a fumble. And in their first first possession of the third quarter, uh, they did a quick three-play strike, 75 yards. Uh, some of the stuff that, that they had been sort of scheming up in halftime. And so... They brought, that, they brought that out uh, very quickly, so give them a lot of credit for that. But aside from those two plays, or aside from those four plays, they struggled to sustain drives. Uh, I think they had three sustained drives. Two were scoring drives late in the game. They had a 17-play drive. Uh, I think it averaged four yards a play, very, very methodical. It was high in the pass, and they had a couple of passes at the end that could maybe have been touchdowns. Officials sort of overturned them. That wasn't a scoring drive. Um, that was a drive where Alabama defense kept everything in front of them. And even if Ohio State would have scored, it really wouldn't have impacted the outcome of the game. And uh, and I think at that at that point, the way the defense is playing, we're just riding out the chain. We're just burning clock uh, at that time. So if they had scored there, uh, wouldn't have liked to have seen them cross 30. I was kind of rooting against that, even though it wouldn't have mattered. But it absolutely would have been a no matter score. And it was reflective of defensive success uh, as much as anything, because, again, it took 17 plays for them to go 69 yards. They averaged four per. And so that was just a grinding effort uh, by Ohio State, and they weren't rewarded for it. What I want to do is take a minute and talk about the two plays where they, they were able to sustain drives and score touchdowns. And if this sounds a lot like what we did last week against Notre Dame, No surprise, because not only was that my inspiration, but that's what the results revealed as well. And so Ohio State, if we look at their two scoring drives, one for a touchdown early in the game, one for a field goal early in the game. So again, early in the game, this was their game plan, right? Right. We can agree with that. Uh, The late score, they're just trying to move the ball every bit they can. Uh, That may be less of their predefined game plan. The three quick strikes coming out of, uh, Halftime, clearly that was based on adjustments uh, that they saw in half. The two drives in the first half, one in the first quarter, where they scored, that's off their script, that's off their design, that's off their intent for the day. And so those are the two that we're going to focus on. So two sustained drives, uh, totaling 17 plays, 144 yards, six minutes and 51 seconds taken off the clock, and they scored 10 points. If we look at those, it's just like the Notre Dame game, they're a heavy utilization of running back tight end and quarterback runs. So 13, 17 plays in these drives, 13 of those 17 plays were, were running back runs passes to the tight ends, including, including incompletes and including the targeting, which ended up being only an eight yard gain as opposed to 15, because the, uh, the play took place at the 16 and so it's half the yards, uh, half the distance. So at any rate, 13 of the 17 plays or 76% were running back runs passes to the tight end or quarterback runs. And I think there were only one or two of the quarterback runs because Justin Fields was dinged up, but 76% uh, of those plays went to the running back tight end and uh, and quarterback runs, that's a higher rate than uh Notre Dame had. They were 76%. They had, uh, on their two scoring drives, which, by the way, netted 14 points, they were 58 of 80. And in fact, that was on the day they were 58 of 80. And they had two scoring drives uh, on Ohio State's scoring drive. They were 13 of 17 uh, from a yardage breakdown. And so uh, number of plays and yards can be two different things. Uh, so from a yardage breakdown, 121 of the one hundred forty-two, uh, 144 yards. So 84 percent of the yards were. Uh, running back, tight end, and quarterback runs. So 76% of the plays on those two scaring, scoring drives and 84% of the yardage results were those three uh, those three position groups. And again, similar to Notre Dame's scheme on the day, there were 58 of 80, again, on the day, 73%. Now, when I look at that, that's interesting, right? Because they did something very, very similar for uh, to what uh, Notre Dame did and with Notre Dame, it was it was unsu- it was successful, but you know, unsuccessful, right? It wasn't explosive. They were going to be effective, but not explosive. And at the end of the day, they weren't going to be able to keep pace with Alabama. And so we talked about that in the Notre Dame game. What's interesting, and actually, if you want to get in the head of Ohio State a little bit, you could say this is a source of confidence because we can be effective with our running back, our tight end and our quarterback runs. And we also have the ability to be explosive with Chris Olave, Justin Fields and Garrett Wilson. And so you could look at, Hey, Notre Dame was effective, but they weren't going to win because they didn't running have back the explosive, explosive element attack. to go with Ohio state could say this. We can fundamental match on the running back and maybe ours is better. We can match on the quarterback running the ball, and when healthy, maybe ours is better, tight end, maybe we're not quite as good, but we like our tight ends. So we can match everything that Notre Dame did, and we can throw two wide receivers down the field that are better than any of the wide receivers that Notre Dame has. So we have an explosive element that the Irish doesn't. And the more explosive they are, the more it'll loosen things up underneath. And so If that's a source of confidence for Ohio State, why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? And so I can see, sort of get into the headset, if you will, of Ohio State. What's their source of confidence? It's right there. And you could even reason that it worked, right? They did have an explosive 75-yard drive, and they did get a little bit from their defense uh, where they scored on that one play after the turnover. Uh, But it still wasn't enough. And I think it wasn't enough for two reasons. So, and and so so, but I, w- I want to make sure that you know so we're, we're cool with that point, right? With how Ohio State was attacking, very similar with Notre Dame, and their source of confidence is that they had that extra gear that Notre Dame didn't have. I, to me, that's fascinating. I could see from their standpoint that that they you know we have something here that can give Alabama fits. Didn't work out that way, uh, but I could see the confidence going in. And, I, and, you know, to some, degree I, I, to some degree, I can, you know, I can support that. Uh, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough, right? And it wasn't enough for, I'm going to distill all the defensive down, really to sort of two reasons why it wasn't enough. The Alabama secondary was the best they've seen. It was the best that Ohio State uh, has seen. Guess what? The Alabama secondary, especially, you know, second half of the season, is the best secondary that probably any of our opponents have seen. Uh, but certainly, the differential between an SEC secondary f- with quality teams versus a secondary that Ohio State saw all season with their Big Ten schedule—a big difference, big gap. You know, I still believe that Sertain and Joe were the best two corners uh, in the country. Um, I think certain certainly demonstrated that he is, and Joe, Joe, very, very good as well. I think they were able to to hold, uh, not not literally hold. But hold down the success of those two uh, of the two uh, wide receivers. It's one thing, you know. You could here's a compare and contrast, right? Notre Dame never, almost never, attempted to attack Patrick Sertain. Well, what's the difference between never trying to attack Patrick Sertain and having no success attacking Patrick Sertain? At the end of the day, it's sort of the same result, right? And so, although Ohio State had the weapons, they were ineffective. They ended up being sort of ineffectual. I think a lot they had quite a number of catches, but his yard total uh, was very, very low. And in fact, he had, I think, most of his catches on the 17 play drive, averaging four yards uh, that ended up in no score at, you know, at the end. So a lot of that, I think, came late. The Alabama secondary, again, I think the best Held, held Ohio State to, sort of getting crossed in my notes here, uh, held uh, the Ohio State wide receivers to one touchdown. And this is without Malachi Moore playing. So the secondary could have actually uh, been better. And I so hate that Malachi Moore, uh, I think he's truly one of my favorite players on this team. Uh, the fact that he couldn't play to injury the last couple of weeks, uh, I, uh, I just absolutely hate that. Uh, it's a it's a reward for uh, for his his success this season. I would have loved to have seen him even get, just get a handful of reps uh, out there. It didn't work out. Uh, but Brian Branch was so good uh, as his uh, as his replacement. We saw that against Notre Dame. We saw that again against Ohio. Uh, Helms and Battle and Wright. I thought they all played very very well. Uh, we know the Battle went out with um, the targeting. Absolutely hate that. But I think Daniel Wright. And DeMarco Helms played uh, very, very well. There was almost sort of a a Keystone Cops moment where it looked like um, it was Jalen Amar Davis. And I don't know if Daniel Wright was pointing him, you know, go cover the slot or if he's pointing, you know, get off the field. Uh, we may never we may actually never know the answer to that question, but uh, he streaks off the field and it looks like, oh, Alabama's going to get flagged for too many men on the field. And it turns out he was the 11th uh, guy. So a little bit of Keystone Cops there. We've got to sort that out. I think that's a function of uh, Battle, who's, I think, uh, a communicator back there and uh, certainly Malachi uh, being out. Uh, I think, you know, that's a factor there. But uh, definitely, definitely interesting there. You know, I, I take the I also sort of take the the deal. We play a lot of uh, – Alabama plays a lot of uh, dime, which is six defensive backs. And so, you know, Job and and Sutain and Malachi and Helms and Battle and Wright, and we know Branch plays more traditionally during the season. He's played that, that dime uh, perspective, uh, that dime position. But Helms and Wright have sort of rotated in there, and so we've got six, you know, seven DBs. By the time you get to Jalen Amar uh, Davis, you're eight DBs back. Um, you know, you're going to have communication – gaps when you get that far uh that far into the roster. So again, I think the I think the secondary, the Alabama secondary was the the best by far that uh Ohio State has seen. I think Justin Fields is a talented quarterback. I think he might be, I don't watch all their games. I haven't gone back and watched all their games. I know he has highlight plays, but he might be uh if you look at his snap to release, uh it's one of the longer time differentials. Mac is very, very quick. He knows uh, where he wants to go the Go with the ball. He's very, very decisive. I don't know if you know Fields' time is maybe two or three times is uh, is is what, uh, what Mac is on average, and so that makes me wonder: Does he know where to go to the ball? Is is he reading his progression slower? I think that's something that that he's definitely, absolutely going to have to work on uh, in the NFL. But I wonder against this Alabama secondary if that were already a weakness for him. Did the talent? of the Tide secondary sort of exacerbate that. And so I think there's an opportunity uh, for for that to have been true. And then just in general, uh, again, we're sort of talking two reasons why uh, their game plan didn't work. The absolute physicality of the Alabama defense, and primarily at this point talking about the, the front seven, I don't want this to sound flippant, but uh, you know we broke th- their biggest toy uh, in, uh, in 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 Herman, and I absolutely absolutely one hundred percent hate the fact that he was injured. Uh, it was such an injury that uh, he almost immediately had to go to the hospital. I, I think uh, not playing you know web here, but uh, I think that I think it was a broken collarbone, and so he needed you know almost uh, immediate uh, uh, care on that, and I absolutely hate that he was injured. Uh, But if you look at it from a chess piece, uh, football, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, players and talents and and skill players, uh, as chess pieces. You take away your opponents, uh, one of their best chess pieces, uh, one of sort of the cogs in their game plan, and that mentally uh, sort of breaks the other uh, team because now what are we going to do? And then the physicality, really, he was in for two plays, in the, in the first uh, possession, I think it was actually the first play where uh, where he got hurt. Uh, you think, you know, what do we do now because we're down our best player? And holy cow, they're hitting like we haven't, you know, like we haven't seen. It could be one in a million freak shot. Uh, I'm not saying that they we're that, that much, you know, physically superior. We've had players get hurt too. Uh, but there's something to first play of the game. Arguably, your best player goes down with just an incredibly injury injury that's the result of such a such a physical play such a physical tackle I think that that uh, mentally is as, as well as physically that impacted um, that impacted the game Christian barmore just as a standout uh, individual uh, he participated in five tackles three were solo uh, he had a sack he had two TFLs and his tackle on the fourth and two to force a, a turnover on downs I think that was the play. Or Ohio state realized it's over, <laughs> you know, we're trying, we're struggling, we're fighting at this point, we're just waiting for the clock to run dry. Uh, if they had been able to maintain that possession, get the first down, gotten some momentum from that. Uh, and then let's see what we've got, but you know, right there, I don't know, right around midfield, they went for it. They didn't get it tackled in the backfield. I, th- I think that sort of robbed them of ever, it may have been scant hope that they had at that time, but it robbed them of, of whatever hope they had left athletically. Uh, uh, again, Christian, our absolute Christian Barmore, uh, absolute uh, most physical, one of the best uh, defensive linemen that the Alabama boast uh, defense boasts. But in terms of just physical freaks, uh, Christian Harris and Will Anderson, physical, uh, big, fast, athletic. I think they, those are types of players that Ohio State hasn't seen and doesn't see uh, on the regular. The NFL draft will tell you the number of NFL, the number of SEC players in the NFL draft and in the NFL in general will tell you where the athleticism, athleticism is and where the league knows that it is. And so when you have Christian Harris, you know, follow the thought chain with me. When you have Christian Harris and Will Anderson who are considered athletic freaks by SEC standards, then they are going to especially be athletic freaks by big 10 standards. doesn't mean that they don't have them. It doesn't mean uh, it just means they don't have as many and they don't see them as often. And so when you're a super freak in the sec, our super freaks are better than your super freaks and the numbers bear that out. And so I think, uh, and especially in this season where they're, their you know, most uh, contested games were Northwestern and Indiana. I would dare say that those two teams don't have a Christian Harrison and a Will Anderson running around. And so I think, uh, again, sort of the physicality standpoint is something that Ohio State uh, hasn't seen. And I want to give a little bit of a nod to Dylan Moses. This may have been his best game of the year. I I do think early in the season, he looked good. I thought he looked uh, good as a relative. Uh, I thought he looked good against uh, Missouri. I think as the season went on, he really struggled. You could reason that he kind of looked bad at times against Notre Dame, especially in coverage. And uh, but uh against Ohio State, uh for the by and large, I thought he uh, I thought he looked uh pretty good. And so I'll put him uh, on there. Uh talk about departing players. We'll do this later, but gosh, I hate that he's leaving because I think he'd be so much better next year. Uh that's a conversation we'll have later. Uh let's shift to mini game balls on the defense. And there are so many mini-game balls that I want to give out play very well. I want to give a mini game ball to Dylan Moses for all the reasons that we just talked about. And I really want to give a mini game ball to LeBron Ray, who's missed so much time this season. And he was able to to see a couple snaps, a couple of reps against Ohio State, battling back from injury, recorded a tackle. And uh, I so hope that he comes back and is able to play a fully healthy season next season. And we all get to appreciate what he's capable of, because I think he can have a monster season if he is fully, fully healthy. And uh, I hope he uh, is able to come back and do that. But I'm going to give my mini game ball in the national title game to Ben Davis. He had a tackle. It was a big tackle. I think it was a third down tackle that, uh, that prevented a conversion, that prevented a first. Ben Davis is a player that's been here, it seems like. You know, forever now. Remember, he came in with Mac Wilson, and Mac Wilson's in his second year in, in the NFL. So Ben's been here five. Uh, he's been a player that has struggled to see the field for arguably a couple different reasons. I've always sort of heard that he's had shin splints that just has really plagued uh, his ability to practice and, and play and perform, and that he's some level on the other side of that. Uh, he's been rotating into games more and more. Hasn't been the all star. His dad's the all time leading tackler. Never sort of an assault uh, on that, uh, but the fact that he was that he was in the game, played, made a big tackle not just a not just a uh, run of the mill tackle, but for me, I thought it was a big tackle, physical play, uh, demonstrating some awareness, uh, some play awareness, and some play capability uh, on that play. Very very pleased. Uh, to see that, but this is a guy that could have left. He could have quit. He could have packed his bags. He could have at any step along the way, and he's had some rough road to hoe. Uh, he could have left, and uh, so very pleased uh, with ben, ben Davis. You know, coach talks about creating value for your, yourself and sticking it out and being, uh, you know, persistent. And uh, Ben Davis, I think, certainly in in a lot of ways fits into that mold. So he wins the. He gets sort of the mini game ball for. Uh, The national title game. Let's look at uh, flip the field. Uh, Not really flip the field there in any sort of way, but looking at uh, special teams. Man, if you just want to give a tip of the cap and just, you know, buy the guy beer, you can't do that. Uh, But Will Reichert, man, uh, one field goal for 20 yards. That's not outstanding all by itself. Seven uh, of seven PATs, which is awesome. The big sort of crowning moment for Will uh, Reichert is that he finished his season 100% on all of his kicks, all of his PATs, all of his field goals. Uh, that's just phenomenal, especially especially when you ju- juxtapose it to the the, I don't, the relative success, you call it the failure, that uh, the kicking game at Alabama has had the last uh, several seasons. Uh, the fact that he came in and was, was 100% for the season, if that, if that had been a Vegas bet, I think you could put just literally a couple dollars on that and, uh, and have cleaned up uh, pretty, pretty well. I wish I had thought of that. Charlie Scott, uh, I thought he uh, he was serviceable in the way that he has been uh, all season and uh, and and I say that as a good thing. His punts aren't outstanding, uh, but the uh, but the hang time allows for coverage. and I'm convinced why that's why he's maintained the job. He had two punts for 76 yards, uh, average 38 along a long of 40 so there's some grouping there that you see with his kicks. And uh, I asked the question, you know, how is he kicking for Alabama when he, he you know, last kicked at the Air Force, and um, and I think I I sort of thought through an answer on the air with you guys last week, and I read something this week. He had a service deferment, a post graduation service for service deployment deferment rather service deferment, um, and so he spent uh, a year in defer uh, punting at Alabama, which is pretty cool, and uh, looks like. He may or may not have the opportunity to return next year. Uh, I don't know what that decision is, is uh, where you record this. Those decisions are forthcoming. Uh, but it looks like he may be uh, headed back to the Air Force to serve out uh, his commitment. Uh, but we certainly appreciate his service in the Air Force and his service as the Alabama punter this season. Uh, kickoff returns, I just I have no clue why. And I love uh, Bill Linsley, but I don't understand uh, him back there returning punts. I know he's athletic, but he's athletic for a tight end not for a kick returner. Uh, he had a long of seven. Uh, Smitty returning punts, he had a long of 19. That's nice to see. One time it looked like he might you know, kind of break one, but uh, but didn't. But 19-yard return is nice. Uh, Alabama only allowed three yards return, uh, three return yards to Ohio State. But I think there's some wisdom from the Ohio State built in in, in that uh, they took the ball in the 25. And so I think they realized, hey, this is what we're up against. And we're going to take what we what we can get for free because we don't think we can return against uh, this covers team. At which, it, it, in which in which case we're just leaving yards on the field. So let's take it on the twenty five and go to work. And that's uh, that's what they did. Uh, I thought from an Alabama standpoint, 100 uh, solid uh, from the special teams. All right. So this sort of transition a little bit. We always at the end sort of talk about what's next. And uh, and again, I alluded to this a little bit uh, in sort of the expanded intro what is next well enjoy the offseason. season uh uh what's next is uh some players are, are leaving and we're starting to see that there's uh the final bit of recruiting that's still uh to happen there's it looks like going to be a lot of coaching turnover and i think we're hearing even some of this as um as i'm recording this so i need to go check that out there are a lot of questions that will need to be asked and answered or a opined as we lead up to spring practice and there will be a spring practice COVID or not, uh, we've, uh, I say we, not that I've had any role in this, but college football has demonstrated that they can conduct a season. If you can conduct a season, you can conduct a spring practice. So there will be a spring practice. And as we move forward, uh, again, players, recruiting, coaching, prep for spring, the million and one questions that we're going to have around the 2021 team, those are coming. Uh, we'll, we're going to have more podcast content, uh, related to that. Some of that's going to be more on the, on the sort of the private cause I can turn those around faster and cheaper, but, uh, we're going to get some main shows out, uh, to everyone. Uh, I do have discount codes in my Twitter feed. Go, go search that. And, uh, you can join, uh, you can still join the support group. There's 40 something bonus shows. I think last year in the, in the entirety of the bonus program, we did 29. Most of those coming in the summer off season, we've already done 40. And so if we do some more uh, this off season, there's still a lot of value, still a lot of content there, uh, still some of the Zoom calls coming. So I encourage you to sort of check that out. And like I said, there's uh, there's discount codes there available for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did have a contest and uh, I haven't mentioned this last couple shows, but we did have a contest for Legends Drinkware. Again, these are just phenomenal drinking glasses. But we had so this will be fun. Uh, it'll be fun. it'll be fun for me and two other people. Bill in Birmingham won the Legends Drinkware Glass, and what's interesting is is as a fan base or as a listener group, I'm aware of two bills in Birmingham, both in the Million Dollar Band. The winning bill for the contest was Class of '93, and his favorite player was George Teague. Uh, his rundown and strip of Lamar Thomas for the '92 National Championship game—that's a play that just again you could put that on loop and just enjoy it and I think the trivia question that you could have around that is what's the greatest play in Alabama uh, football history that didn't count and uh, I think it would be the George Tech play because uh, there's a penalty that negated that play but nonetheless phenomenal play especially being in the million dollar uh, band on the field just a field eye uh, look of that uh, I think uh, I think that that is phenomenal and so Bill's gonna have his legend string court glasses forthcoming and he's going to toast the season and toast the tide and toast a whole bunch of other stuff you can join him at at least sort of uh virtually uh use afb10 for a 10 percent discount on the legends drinkware classes again they're phenomenal let's see a couple more sort of uh housekeeping things as we sort of wrap this deal up uh one there are 199 reviews for this podcast in itunes and so I want to bump that up just over 200. I'd like to bump it up to a, a much larger number, but we're sitting just on the precipice there, 199 reviews on iTunes. So here's what we're going to do. To give everyone that's going to listen to this a sort of an equal fair opportunity, we're not going to take just the person who, who is 200, but in this next sort of window of time, leave a review on the iTunes, an authentic review. We like the five stars, but... We take authentic reviews and email me and say, hey, I submitted a review in response to this request on the podcast, and I'm going to take those, uh, that group, and we will award someone uh, access to the bonus, uh, all the bonus material this off season. If you're already a bonus, if you're already on the support team getting the bonus material, then we'll figure it out, right? We'll give you a, a discount or something for next season. If you're not, then we'll let you in for the rest of the season. And again, there's just a whole ton of content that's out there. Forty something, forty uh, something podcasts. Think about this, right? This is our 13th game, so we've done 13 podcasts. Uh, maybe a preseason, so let's call it 14. We did an off, uh, we did an off week, so call it 14. There's 40 in the bonus uh, content, and so 14 or 15 in sort of the regular. There's been 40. Uh, and the bonus, holy wow! So a lot of good content there. And again, we're going to continue to uh, produce content in both sort of—I call it the public and the private. Uh, we're going to continue to uh, to do additional uh, content there. But here's the deal: we want the reviews because that helps us. That helps people find us every time. And you've heard me say this before. Every time, hey, how'd you find us? Where'd you hear about us? Almost invariably is through search. I was looking on iTunes, and so the reviews, the comments. And, and again, obviously they're going to wait the, the high reviews. I want authentic reviews, uh, give us, give us your feedback, but, uh, we're going to take sort of the next bunch, next sort of batch. If you'll leave a review in an email, Hey, I'm it's in response to, uh, the podcast where you rambled on talking about it, uh, then, uh, we'll award, uh, someone there. So we'll hope you hope you'll, uh, hope you'll do that and support the show in that regard. And then, so finally, uh, last sort of thought uh, as we as we sort of put a bow on this season and the championship, I just want to give a a, just a true uh, heartfelt thank you for everyone that's listened, that is listening, has listened. This has been this show, this season has been amongst the hardest and most rewarding podcast seasons that we've done, and I think this is our eleventh year. And so, just a true heartfelt thank you for your support, for your your listening, your downloads, even if we've never connected you and I directly. I see the download counts. And so I know there's a Whole ton of people that I've never connected with directly. And that means I have a whole lot of friends out there that I don't know who they are and I want to meet them. So leave us the review. Send me an email. Let's connect. And and thank you. Authentically, uh, from the bottom of my heart, I really, really do uh, appreciate it. Like I said, this has been one of the harder seasons. It's also been by a long ways one of the more rewarding, not just for the play on the field and the team winning the championship. I'm just talking just the podcast season, the execution of the podcast season has been incredibly rewarding. And we, we so thank you for that. And so on that note, together as a podcast team, we know what to do. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama football podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the Tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. slash careers.